Hello and welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman and I am joined today by one of our original co-hosts, Tyler Wolf. Tyler, how are you? I want to level with you, Philip. I'm cold. It is so cold in this office all the time. This The heat does not apply to this room. Yeah, it's amazing because it almost felt like it was on purpose when we first moved into these offices at First Baptist Church because every other room on this hallway... It's blazing. Oh, it's very comfortable. Yeah, very nice. I mean, on a day like today Let's where compare. it's below 20, every room is a little chilly. But you walk into this room and it just almost feels like you're outside. Yeah, it's cold in here. Yes. Tyler, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you. It's I think good to be you back. you're welcome. I think you were my co-host for maybe the first two or even three episodes. Something like that. Yeah. We talked through deconstruction versus disenculturation. We talked a bit about I think a sermon that you preached back there through the plagues over the summer. Maybe. Anyway. That's been so long. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Um, last week, if you're just tuning in, I had a chance to interview our student minister, Joshua Mangum. Josh gave us a little bit of his story, some of his testimony growing up in the home of a minister, similar to me, and then we talked through some barriers that exist between a student and a vivid relationship with Jesus, especially barriers that maybe come about by way of living in your parents' home. So a lot of us, uh, as our children grow older, we begin to feel some kind of distance between us and them, and Josh and I tried to help you navigate that a little bit and take ownership of your role in the life of your child and their faith. We talked about authenticity, honesty, and maybe the hardest one of all for a parent of a child is to allow that child to exercise some skepticism and even some intellectual tension with Christianity. It's scary and hard to not parachute into that environment and try to fix everything for our kids, but they got to find answers for themselves. So tune into that episode if you haven't caught it yet. Today, Tyler has joined me to discuss congregational singing, specifically at True North Church. We're subtitling this episode, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of Congregational Singing. And I'll tell you that our objective today is to try to address some of the songs that we sing at True North, specifically to share our philosophy. What we don't want to do is pick on other local churches or mega churches or really any ministry. We just want to talk about the standards and the fences that we've put up around the field that we play in here at True North. Uh, We want to try to answer questions about discernment, what happens when a band that we like releases a new worship song or when we find a new worship song maybe from a band we don't know anything about how do we evaluate a song like that is it just the musicality is it just the arrangement the congregational ability to sing is it the theology the philosophy we'll try to talk you the listener through some questions that you can ask as a local church member when it comes to songs that you may sing by yourself at the gym in the car uh, at home And then we're going to play a game today. We've never done this before on the podcast. We've certainly shared plenty of sarcastic moments. We're going to do that on purpose today. We're going to play a game called Good, Bad, and Ugly at the end of the episode. And we're going to take a look at some songs that Tyler and I have seen and heard sung in congregational settings. Specifically, a song that I remember singing once in youth group a long time ago by my favorite youth group band from the early 2000s. So stick around till about the 25-minute mark, and we should be able to uh, provide you with at least a little bit of entertainment. Even if you disagree with us, we're going to try to do that in a way that's lighthearted. So Tyler, let's start with you. You've been at True North a lot longer than I have, about eight more years than me. And in the entire time you've been here, you've played some role in worship leadership, correct? Yes, that's true. Okay. So talk us through how has the style or the set of songs that we sing at True North, how has that changed across a decade plus, and have those changes primarily just been updates as new songs come out and some songs we sing get older, 
or have there been philosophical changes? And then this, I'll find this really interesting. Are there any songs that we still sing today, even if we only sing them once in a while, that were back on the playlist in 2010? Oh, man. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, Philip, you're right. Um, I, I think yesterday I wore my five-year anniversary shirt, and I realized, gosh, it's been like six years since our five-year anniversary when we passed those shirts out. Um, yeah, I've been uh, at True North since prim- I'm basically the beginning. I maybe missed the first two couple Bible studies, but I was there. Um, and when we started doing the preview services, I started helping with the worship leader at the time. Um, at the very beginning, it was just kind of uh, two acoustic guitars, and then it uh, evolved into a much larger group, and then it kind of pared down again to mostly two guitars. So uh, the preamble to a lot of this is really how I started without any real formal training is a product of my environment. I grew up in a, in a small, uh, small-ish Baptist church in Ketchikan, um, and when uh, the pastor's son came of age, he started handling more of the worship, and he was doing primarily stuff like uh, Hillsong and Bethel when it came out, the large kind of Christian arena uh, worship gathering music. And that was kind of where we, where my whole thing was, is that if it sounds good when there's 80,000 people in the room, we should try to replicate that And uh, in, <laughs> if we have 20 people in the room, which I don't agree with anymore. That's not uh, kind of where I'm at. But luckily, when I, when I kind of got plugged into True North, um, that was not the prevailing attitude. And uh, uh, yeah, it was... An exciting time. I got to to kind of shadow under a very good worship leader, and when he left, I took over, and I mostly adopted a lot of his songs. Mm. So we were doing a lot of stuff like uh, uh, Shane and Shane was kind of the the go to for a, quite a while because we had two acoustic guitars and two vocalists that could harmonize with each other, and so we kind of gravitated towards that. So kind of an answer to your last question, uh, I I I want to say um, uh, that song we do all the time uh uh lord i come i can just return to the lord though you slay me i think that is a song we've been doing for almost the longest which is funny because uh i think apart from worship i think a lot of our people have not really digested that one uh but i think to kind of answer your original questions when i first started being in charge completely sorry to kind of ramble there uh, when I first started being in charge of doing worship completely, almost every song that I chose was a presentation of the gospel story. So that was kind of my whole thinking. I would use the music as a teaching tool because I thought that would be my role as the quote worship leader in the church is to assist the teaching of the church, the beliefs of the church. Um, so we did all songs... Uh, uh, Man of Sorrows is another good one we've been doing for a long time, but it is primarily a gospel story song. And I had one of the members uh, that was in our worship team kind of approach me. He's like, Tyler, I, I just, we say we're a worship team, but really we only sing songs about what Jesus did on the cross. And I think he had some validity to that. Now, I still think that is worshipful, and we should be doing that. Uh, but my primary, my primary concern was... Um, to use music as a teaching tool because few things kind of impact your brain in a way that music does. I can give you a quick example. Um, I remember the quadratic formula from high school. I don't know what it means. I don't remember what it's used for, but my math teacher went negative B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A. 
And to me, that was all the justification I needed to just use music as a teaching tool. So I don't do that anymore, uh, but I still think there's some validity to that. Now, as I've come and I've matured and I've grown in my faith and grown in leading worship and grown in uh, just understanding uh, the Bible more, um, I view worship as worship. And I'm so happy to get into that uh, a little bit later because we've we've got kind of a flow we want to stick to. Uh, But philosophically... Um, I think there is a, a, a more broad mix now of songs that we do that are, some of them are, you know, more gospel presentation oriented. Some of them are very like personal uh, time with the Lord oriented, but I try my darndest to make sure that our worship is centric towards God in an act of overt, explicit worship. And that is what I'm trying to do. That is my biggest philosophical uh, standpoint that I, I can't see myself, uh, moving away from, that worship needs to be God, Christ-centric, first and foremost, and must be available for the entire congregation to be able to participate in that worship. Um, maybe early in the days, I had a trusted worship leader goes, whatever song you can sing the best, that'll get your people worshiping the best. And I just, I disagree with that wholeheartedly now. Like, if I can sing, I'm a tenor one, man, that's, if you don't know what that means, that means I hit very high notes for a man, little pixie voice. And if there are no people in the room that can sing along with me, then that, that's a fail. That's a worship L in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, I think we have a few hymns that we still sing from back then as well. I try to incorporate hymns because I think there is a richness of theology that uh, maybe the cynic in me would say that is not present in some of the modern day stuff. Not all. That would be unfair to do a blanket statement on all that, but certainly some. Uh, and I, I love that stuff. I love trying to get a good mix of of songs that we do, uh, between modern, old, new, whatever. So, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to mention one thing. I think it's helpful to hear you talking about different, maybe metrics that other people have used at times to define what's good and bad in this setting. Yeah. And we've used the word congregational a couple of times today. I want to take a second and just define what I mean when I say that, uh, congregational doesn't mean everybody already knows it when they arrive. It doesn't mean uh, necessarily that it's set in a certain meter or that it provides specific musical accompaniment, though there are people of a certain generation who would argue it's easier to sing to an organ or it's easier to sing sure, to a guitar. which is totally valid for them. Or today there are people from different parts of the world that are not the West who would say it's most easy to sing to just percussion and only have the voices and percussion. The percussion guides you through the rhythm so that you can yeah, stay absolutely. together. Uh, what we mean is we mean that the song allows the maximum number of people to participate in the meaning. So that's important. We don't want it to be so specific that there's people in the room going, this seems like it's about somebody else's life. That's fabulous. Not mine. And then second, and this is secondary, but it does matter as a congregational song leader, Tyler, I know you consider this regularly. Can the majority of the people in the room sing the notes? Or is it like, we don't sing a ton of uh, like there's a guy named Jimmy Needham who writes worship music, who's great, who's out of Dallas. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. And Jimmy has a great blues voice, and he riffs and does runs all through his music, and it doesn't sound showy at all, but nobody can sing with that guy. We, he came and did a youth camp that I was at one year before oh, that's he was awesome. a big deal. Yeah, he's a great guy, that's and he really was cool. local to us in East Texas, and, and just nobody could sing with him. His wife ended up leading after the first session. I don't think he had done that very much up to that point. And they did a concert for us, which was cool, and everybody listened yep, that's to a concert, him sing. Which is great. But for the sake of leading, it needs to, it doesn't have to be plodding, slow, uninteresting, but it has to be somewhat plain for the congregation to sing along. And the primary voice has to be mixed the loudest so that we can hear it, 
And anyway, so that's when we say congregational, we're talking about ease of access and um, availability of truth, mm-hmm. meaning that most people in the room can connect with the meaning of the songs, which I think is why, Tyler, if we try to stay Christocentric or theocentric, centered on God or Jesus, we hit most of the folks in the room. Uh, I think we so should, too. We should hit everybody every Sunday, but there's probably some in the room that don't know the Lord yet or whatever. But even then, we're giving testimony of a mm-hmm. thing that's very plainly available to them. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, if I can speak to my own role in this process just sure. a little bit as a lead pastor and really more specifically as an elder, a person who's responsible for the ministries of the church, um, I don't, and I really try not to directly oversee what we sing. I think I've certainly recommended a handful of new songs that we've done, and you've been willing to consider some of those. Some you've said no, and that's great. That's part of your responsibility. But there come points, I think, where I do feel a responsibility, or maybe even theoretically I would feel a responsibility. You've done well, really, really well so far. Um, but there are situations where I would have to say, okay, as an elder, I am responsible that we are feeding our people somewhat by what we sing. Yes, that's right. Um if I have a concern about what we're singing or even what we may be considering for a Sunday morning, I try to start with a document that you and I created, a collaborative flow chart. Yes, if you're oh, listening at yeah. home, we made a flow chart. It has boxes and arrows. Some of the boxes and arrows are red, and that means no, don't sing the song. And some of them are green, and that means you you may. Not necessarily that you should, but you may. It's permissible. That's right. And at the bottom of the flow chart, I think the most helpful part to me is that we created some categories realizing that there are different settings in which the congregation worships. There is a Sunday morning gathered together to hear the word preached and sing setting. There are settings where it may be appropriate to have someone sing from the stage and give testimony, and the rest of us need to just listen. Maybe the words of that song wouldn't be true for all of us, but are true for one of us whom we love, and we can learn something about God's mercy and grace by listening to them, as well as a couple of others. So I want to give you a chance to sort of flesh that out a little bit. Give us some examples of maybe start at the top and just run through a couple of the boxes and help us see what are some songs. uh, And again, we're, we're being theoretical and broad here, but what are some kinds of songs that maybe aren't bad songs but would never be sung on a Sunday morning? And what are some other songs that maybe surprisingly make it through the rubric because of their theology or their perspective on God? Just talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So I, I've been having a blast with this flowchart. I we've we've reworked it a couple times just to kind of kind of eliminate some redundancies. Nobody likes the format that's seen it. Everybody says, "Why do you go from right to left?" It says, "Because I want the boxes to be in order." That's fine. If you ever see it, you'll know what I'm saying. If you're a smart person, it will make a lot of sense to you. I promise. I tell myself that anyway. This is like the emperor's new clothes, Tyler. You're implying that if it doesn't make sense to us, it's we're the, not smart. Yeah, it's your fault. If you it's... can't see his clothes. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah, what's what's wrong with you? Let's stick to the flowchart. Let's stick to the flowchart. Making moral judgments on people that we don't even know. I'm sorry. We do love you. So the very first question we do, and I, I think this is the question that has to be asked in every single, no matter what the situation is, if you're going to introduce it to your people, to your church, if you are in charge of what's being put in front of them, the first question has to be, is this song theologically orthodox? I think that is a fair question. So if yes, it moves right along. I do have a category for a no here. So that if you say no to this, if you're plugging your, fa- plugging your favorite song right now in your head, is this song theologically orthodox? If you can't say yes, I feel like the only question that is appropriate to follow up is, is this song the only song that communicates the specific thing that you want to say? Uh, it's in there almost as a gratuity. I don't, <laughs> you can probably find another song that says what you're trying to say to your people. Uh, but if you can't, man, if, this is, if it's the only song, you skip it. If you want, if you can, you have if you have the kind of relationship with your congregation, 
if you say that this is the only song that communicates the way or the thing you want to communicate, can you rewrite it? And if you can rewrite problem phrases or problem uh, 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 theologies out of it and you feel good about that, um, it puts you back into the flow chart. But if not, man, I think it's just safe to say that if it's not theologically sound, you don't need it. It's not, it's not important enough to bring to the church. So uh, it moves right along after theological orthodoxy. Does this language, does the language of this song accurately portray the relationship between creature and creator? And I think this phase right here is to kind of eliminate all of the really, you know, nice sounding songs. But really, if the language could be applied to God or the perfect boyfriend, for lack of a better term, if you would describe Jesus or the perfect boyfriend, I don't think the church needs it. I don't don't think it's important enough to kind of uh, move that along in in the chart. And there's another song out there somewhere that'll say what you're trying to say. Yeah, I want to comment on those first two sort of elimination questions. One, when we say theologically orthodox, we don't mean capital O, Eastern Orthodox. Oh, good good call, good call. Like, what we mean is the meaning of the word orthodox, meaning uniformity with the Christian historical tradition. In other words, if we have always sung about God using male pronouns, because he uses male pronouns about himself in the Bible— then if we come across a song that says some really beautiful stuff that we hope is true about God, but it insists on referring to him using female pronouns, just right out of the gate, for the sake of a Sunday morning, we're not going to tell anybody in the church they can't listen to that. I'd probably advise away from that, but that's not going to fly for a Sunday morning because it's making a pretty significant change to what has been theologically orthodox about God for, oh, I don't know, 2,000 years or so. So that's sort of category one. And then category two is... When we find a weakness in a song like that, we we often find that it's been made weaker in an attempt to make it seem more loving, appealing, warm, welcoming to a specific kind of person. Yes, that's right. That's right. Sanding it down. And so what we want to go is, okay, if there's a truth baked into this that we like, can we find that same truth in another song that hasn't done all of that hard work to round the edges off? So that's what we're talking about, those first two categories. Go ahead, Tyler. Okay. So at this point, all of the questions have just been eliminations. They send you right to to no, and I think it's a no. So I think the leadership of the church should not uh, advocate for any of these things. So when we move past the Jesus is the perfect boyfriend question, um, here is what I think is the hot button question that I think everywhere you go to, you'll probably have a different opinion. And well-meaning, Christ-honoring, God-fearing Christians will disagree about this. So it's okay if we disagree about this. And, I, man, if you ever want to hit me up on this question, feel free. This is, a, I think, a really fun conversation to be had. The question is, is this song a product primarily of an organization or an individual that is, that is outside of orthodoxy? So think of your favorite multi-million dollar campus church that is pumping out music every other weekend— uh, that is preaching things that don't go along with the gospel of Christ Jesus, um, or maybe a you know a different faith, a different a different uh, uh, religion entirely, but that still could be applied because it says the word God. If that is, and the the negative answer is a yes here. So if it is a product of a of an organization or an individual that is outside of orthodoxy, what I have asked and what I would call you to is, have you prayerfully considered the spiritual, practical, and even the financial implications of supporting this person or organization? If you think that uh, all of those things are fine and it would still be of benefit to you, that's going to put us into our first category called family worship. 
I wouldn't call, so this is just for True North Church, uh, but I would still recommend this, I think. I, I, I stand by this well. Uh, but just for True North Church, I would say if there's a song that comes from an organization that is not uh, uh, completely within orthodoxy, but still communicates everything theologically sound, I think it would be okay for you and your family, or just you and yourself, to be able to digest that song individually, separate the art from the artist, if you want to use that phrase, uh, uh, for the purpose of of uh, your relationship with the Lord. I still caution against, uh, as much as I can, to point you towards places that are more theologically inorthodox. I think it would be good for you. But if it's the only song, I don't think you're bad for wanting to take a song home uh, and worship to it. Okay, so now we get to the part where I'm filtering through songs that we would sing on a Sunday morning. Uh, I'll try to go quickly through this. Uh, the next question is the intended recipient of the song. And the options here are God or people. So if you say it's God, uh, I think that primarily puts us in a spot of what I would call uh, the New Testament interpretation of worship, and that is to bow down. Uh, I, th- I and pl- I'm not going to get into the to the to the Greek here, but in the New Testament, the word worship u- is used several dozens of times. Typically, it kind of falls into one of two categories: uh, when there is a present Jesus, when they say they worship, it translates, I think, pretty closely to bow down. And when there is not a present Jesus standing in the flesh, the word worship typically translates to uh, serve, but what we're talking about here is is bowing down. It is the worship, the adoration of a present heavenly Father. And the Bible says that we're two or more gathered in my name. Uh, the Spirit is there, so we get to physically, or not physically, but personally, congregationally worship Him. So if it is, uh, if God is the intended recipient of that, that puts us, I think, squarely where we need to be for the congregational worship, which is. Uh, in my estimation, the highest level of worship that we can recommend as a church. On the flow chart, that is all the way at the end. That is the top tier, I think, of worship. If the intended recipient is God, the last question you need to ask, in my opinion, is, is this song congregationally musical? So we go back to that congregational point again. If everybody in the room or the majority of people can sing along with it, can uh, can resonate with the truths that are being communicated, I think it is really good to have that song on a Sunday morning. It would be totally fine and permissible. If not, that puts you into one of two other categories, and uh, if it is not congregational musical, I think it should be done in a, uh, in a, uh, in a capacity that is not really congregational worship. So uh, we've put a testimony category, and an example for us would be like a prayer night. So if you gather, this is not the entire body gathering, but it is still the body, uh, and we are communicating something specific with doing the song that is still to God, but is not really meant for, you know, 40, 80, 100 people to be singing at the same time, that puts us in three of five, which is testimony. Potentially, it could also be a personal response song, which is the second out of five categories. So, you know, a couple of other small things. So like if your uh, intended recipient is people rather than God, um, I wrote a song. Uh, that is called Come to the Fountain, and it is primarily to people. It is an invitation to come forward. It was, uh, uh, the chorus is, Come to the fountain, you who are weary, why are you trying? There's rest for you here. At the place 
where the river flows, where his mercy and grace unfold, come to the fountain, the wellspring of life. And then I further clarify that in the bridge. Uh, the wellspring of life drawn from Emmanuel's veins, the mystery of our God's grace that sinners and weary souls are redeemed by the flood. So now that is not primarily a song towards God, but the re- intended recipient is people. Um, and it is about God. And so I've allowed uh, that to filter back into the congregational worship um, but potentially to be more of a personal response song or a personal uh, call to worship rather than a congregational, let's all sing this together to God. Yeah, and when you say who the song is to, I want to be careful. Within all of these songs is an interest of stirring up worship of God. Yes, yes. Okay, so when we say who it's to, what we mean is who is the song aiming at? Is the audience of the song God? Are we singing to God about God? Or... Are we singing to one another about God? Yes. If at any point we are singing to God or one another about something that isn't God, we're probably already having eliminated that that song much earlier in the process. Oh, yes. Oh, so, yes. So this is where, and you hinted at this earlier, and we're going to get into it when we play our game in just a minute, but there are songs that seem to s- share sentiments that are true about our relationship true. with God, but don't ever name God or, uh-huh. or or almost seem like they try not to name God just to leave room for interpretation, which it's hard to take that as anything other than wanting to just be more culturally palatable, mm-hmm. not, to, not to attack anybody personally. So yeah, that's helpful. Uh, that's a lot for you, the listener, to process verbally. So if you ever true. like to see this flowchart. We're not going to just post it on our website because it's going to make people argue with us. But if you want to see it, we'll send you a copy. We'd be happy to. You can email us at info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. And uh, you can just use the subject line. You can either say podcast question or you can say worship flowchart. And let us know you want to see it. We'll send you a PDF. And then you can send us back an email and maybe we'll find a way to improve it. It's sure. That yeah, absolutely. We hope is rooted in scripture, but it's very much a man-made tool and therefore it's fallible. It's There's probably parts yep. of it that we'll continue to tune up. Tyler, I want to quickly touch on uh, what we've kind of been playing with here in the last few minutes, which is the idea of sure. theology of worship. We talked about most recently who is a song aimed at, right? Is yep. it aimed at me? Is it aimed at us? Is it aimed at God? Um, before we get down to, to picking on some of these songs that we've seen people sing in worship that maybe shouldn't have been, um, answer this for me. As the congregational worship leader and the person who probably plays the most significant role in selecting the songs that we sing as a congregation, what are we trying to do when we gather together for quote-unquote worship? And how is singing together different from the kind of singing that we might do, Christian songs, Christian people, but if we're singing kind of in our own head at the gym with our headphones in or if we are sure. in the car singing with our kids or if we're out for a run and we have, if you're a good Alaskan, only one earbud in because you don't want to get eaten by a bear. Right. Uh, but how is how are those different and are there maybe songs that fit those settings a little differently than what we would do on a Sunday morning? So that's sort of three questions in one. That's fine. I think I got If you can rapid fire on. through them, that'd be great. That's, that's totally great with me. Uh so we th- this year, not this is a rabbit trail, but I I, I hope it's going to help it kind of make sense. Uh, we changed my job title. I asked for my job title to be changed uh, from worship leader uh, because I think that worship is so much more than just the music that we do on a Sunday morning, and I think it was really important. I that's fine if you're a worship leader listening to this. You're not wrong. That's totally great. Like you you are leading worship, and that is uh, a great and wonderful thing you should be doing. Um, but worship is so much more than the music we do. So what I try to do congregationally, musically, is gather people together and give them the a vehicle 
to participate in corporate worship, the corporate adoration of our God, of our Savior Christ Jesus. If you wanted to, you could open up your Bible right now to Ephesians 5. I'm going to read it to you. You're probably in the car, so please don't open your Bible right now unless you're at a stop sign. Uh, Ephesians 5, starting in verse uh, 19, around there, it was talking about being is is spirit-filled living. It is walking in love and how to do that. Uh, And one of the categories it gives us uh, in verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, be filled with the spirit, and it moves on to verse 19. And it says this, it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, so there's a comma there between songs and singing, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything uh, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence. I think there is a corporate aspect to worship that is so much more than what you can do in the car on your way to work, so much more than you can do in the the bathroom, uh, whatever, like whatever your prayer closet is. Uh, Mine is the shower. Uh, But when we gather together, the language they use is speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And each of those things has some baked-in meaning in the original language. I don't have to get into that. What we need to understand is that there is a purpose of gathering together for worship. Uh, And singing is one of those things. Christians just sing. It is one of the, uh, like, first responses we see when a corporate people is gathered and they witness the Lord. So when they see the Lord working, we go back all the way to Exodus, which is what we're studying right now. We see the song of the people. They see God act on their behalf, and they gather together in song. That's just what Christians are doing. It's all, it goes all the way to Revelation when the angels are singing, Holy, 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 worthy is the Lord God Almighty. I think it's just something that Christians do. Um, and it's really important for us to continue doing. I know some people say, uh, yeah, we just kind of don't sing. We just sit there and absorb the words. And I think that's, that's okay for a season. And I think you, it's permissible to do that for a time. But I, I really feel like the Bible calls uh, Christians to sing to with each other. I think it's important. You you touched a nerve with me, Tyler, that I don't think you meant to touch. Uh-oh. So I'm gonna I'm gonna steal the last twelve seconds of your time here yes. and just say this: when people refuse to sing in the corporate gathering because they feel like their voice is bad, uh, to me they are underselling the value and the connection between their spirit and their body of naming out loud truth, what is true. And I would say, if you are proud of who God has made you to be, and you're proud of who God is in your life, then get over what your voice Please sounds do like. That. Please And find a way to sing, okay? I don't mean that in a mean way. Nobody's going to police you within our congregation, but there's a reason that the human voice is part of the salvation process. Mm. You confess with your mouth. You say it out loud into the world so that other people know it, so that you can't play games with it, so that you can't live a life that looks like some of these songs we're about to rip up, where you sort of imply uh-huh, God. Uh-huh. You sort of imply Jesus. That's right. Quote, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. Yes. No, that's that's garbage. Francis of Assisi never said. Never said. I don't think anybody's probably ever said it before the 1970s. No that's okay. That. So that's the thing I wanted to hammer on. And then I also just wanted to say, Tyler, that I think you do a really good job of giving us an opportunity to worship together because, based on what you just said, there is something that we can only do in worship together. Doesn't Our worship alone is not 
less significant, but it cannot do what our worship together. Yeah, they're two different things. They share characteristics. And, you know, really just a 10 second hit. Uh, Why do we sing songs the way that we sing them, the style that we sing them? Uh, There can be other styles of things. Uh, Why don't we do like hip hop in church? I think you could. I think there's a place to do that. But is it congregational? Can you all participate? Uh, and that's why other art forms, I think, uh, are not the same. I don't think they stand up to the same scrutiny that worship through singing together does. Yep, absolutely right. Okay, well, with the remainder of our time today, we're going to try something we've never tried before. We're going to play a game. And I can tell you right now, looking at the timestamp, we prepared more examples than we are going to have time <laughs> to get to. So Sorry. I am going to just cut, Tyler, two of those from the notes. You can see that Beautiful. where you are. You guys are getting a little insight into the process. I think our whole church runs on Google Docs. I think most ministries run on Google Docs. It's so. just so helpful. I can see everything you're doing. Yeah, in Google. If you're listening, iPad. please never make a paywall. Please. We love to do what we do for free. Okay, folks. Here it is. It's time for our inaugural episode edition of <laughs> Good, Bad, and Ugly. That's right. Yeah, we did that. That we happened. didn't do it on purpose. That sound is that was actually, not added in post. Yeah, that came pre-programmed. I'm going to do it again. That came pre-programmed into our machine that we use for our podcast. We have a longer version, and it's this. This is that we'll do it. This is game show style. All right, folks, it's time for good, bad, and ugly. That's in right. Congregational singing. Let's get into it, Philip. All right, cool. I'm going to go first. I'm going to pick on a song that I think is probably perfectly fine in some settings. It's a song that if you've been to a funeral, a Christian funeral, or honestly, even a non-Christian funeral, in the last 25 years, you you probably know it. It's by the band Mercy Me, very you've possibly heard it. You've heard it. their most famous song of all time. They even made a movie about how it was written. The song is I Can Only Imagine. If you're unfamiliar, here are the lyrics of sort of the opening verse i can only imagine what it will be like when i walk by your side your is capitalized i can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me again your is capitalized i can only imagine then we hit the chorus which i think is a great chorus surrounded by your glory what will my heart feel will i dance for you jesus or in awe of you be still Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And then the remainder of the verses just further expound on the idea of being in the presence of God, the experience of that, what's it going to feel like, what's it going to look like, sound like. So, Tyler, I'm going to start and say that this one, for congregational singing, is ugly. Ugly. It's good All the way. to some degree, but yes. I don't think it's congregational. The song wasn't written I do musically. agree. I agree with that. It wasn't arranged for people to sing it. And I have, believe it or not, actually been in, not at True North, but I've been in a worship service, a Sunday morning service in the last two weeks in which a person attempted to lead a congregation in this song. And what was another church. Don't try to guess where it was. It's not a place probably any of you have been that are listening. Uh, and it was hard. It was hard even though everybody in the room actually knew the song. And that might be Uh the litmus test for musicality, success or failure. If everybody knows the song and we still can't sing it all together, man, it it might be a great song. It might belong in our gym setup or in our car ride or certainly as we memorialize a person we love. Great, great Uh to hope and and pray that they're having that experience, right? That's a beautiful sentiment. But 
on a Sunday morning. That's right. Can we all really interface with what's being said? It's ugly. And it's a lot of just kind of hypotheticals, and it's a lot of guessing. So it's not really even grounded in scriptural truths. So congregationally musical, uh, no, I don't think so. Theologically orthodox, I think it skirts around it. Yeah, it wants to be. It wants to be. And, and it I, doesn't, that's the hard thing though, right? Because the whole song is questions. That's right. Yeah, so can you be orthodox within a question? Without I, ever actually saying what you think? I like the song. I yeah. think it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful sentiment, and yeah. I do think it is rooted in in a worshipful attitude, potentially. I believe that Bart Miller believes these things and is excited to see his father again or to be with to be with his heavenly father, but... For Sunday morning, yeah, I don't think so. I can also say we have an unfair advantage here because Bart has come right out and said he did not write this song for congregational worship. He didn't. He almost didn't even put it on the album. It was just a song he wrote personally between him and the Lord, made it on the album. People loved it, obviously. Here we are. Okay, over to you, Tyler. Good, bad, ugly, what's your first candidate? Okay, so a few years ago, I was rolling around my hometown in my grandma's Lincoln, and she is a big fan of K-Love, and to a large portion of the Christian populace, uh, evangelism is switching the rental car's radio to K-Love before they get out of it, and that is a true story. I've heard that from more than one mouth in a positive light, not a joke at all. Is that all. just a, a Ketchikanism? Is that like that song you sang earlier about math equations? It's a Ketchikan? I've never it heard that It could be. I don't we, oh, man. Well, I remembered yeah. it. I don't know what the You did grow up on an for. island, literally. Yeah, we're weird. It's okay. We're like backwater uh, Alaska, which is totally fine. So I'm listening to K-Love. This song popped up, I think, seven times across four car rides. And this is a song called I Wanna Be Different by Micah Tyler. Mm -hmm. Wanna, not want to. Mm -hmm. It's I Wanna Be Different. Mm. Don't we all? And I would like to read you some of these songs because this was all over Christian, well, okay, all over positive, encouraging, wink, wink, nudge, nudge radio. So I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. And we're going to look at it, whether it's good or bad or ugly. Uh, I think it is just straight bad. Uh -oh. I think it is just bad. You spoiled it. You didn't even I read the lyrics so. to us first. So I'm, I'm ready for you to disagree with Ouch. me. Ouch. Because it could be right for you. It could it, be true for you. Tyra, it feels like going, bringing my girlfriend home to meet my parents the first time, and before we get out of the car, she's like, hey, I just got to level with you. I've been looking at your mom's Facebook, and I don't like her. It feels like you went ahead and just made the judgment call, and I'm like, can we just... Have dinner first? So let's have dinner with the lyrics. Give it a fair shake, no, okay? No, I'm, I'm, I'm an expectations oversetter. I, I put three forks at the dinner table. Go ahead. Every You've time. done everything but tell us the lyrics. Let's do that now. Well, you started talking. Okay. The lyrics are this. I don't want to hear anymore. Teach me to listen. I don't want to see anymore. Give me a vision that you can move this heart to be set apart. I don't need to recognize the man in the mirror. And I don't want to trade your plan, capital your. So just like the last song, capital Y-O-U-R, plan for something familiar. I can't waste today. I can't say the same. I can't stay the same. So the chorus goes like this. I want to be different. I want to be changed till all of me is gone and all that remains is a fire so bright that the whole world can see that there's something different. So come and be different in me. Hmm. I don't like that. So the second verse is more of the same. If you get to the bridge... Yep, I'm seeing he, that now. Here is uh -huh. what it is. So the first two lines are, I know, comma, that I am far from perfect, in parentheses, uh, seven O's, O-H, hyphen O-H, seven times. The second line says this, but through you, capital U, Y-O-U, the cross still says I'm worth it. Yeah. That is the only reference to anything... Yeah. Sort of theological. Hmm. 
that that is in this song whatsoever. So in the last song, even though we voted it ugly, he's still clearly at some point talking about Jesus. Oh, explicitly, absolutely, in the chorus over and over again. Yeah, and it's and it's great. Uh, this song is very popular for a reason. It sounds really poppy. It sounds really peppy. But this can just as easily be a song that you play at a uh, at a youth summer camp about making a difference in your world by picking up garbage. Because you can just glance right over that line about the cross, because mm-hmm. it doesn't say the cross of Christ. It's mm-hmm. not talking to anybody, and nobody reading the lyrics is gonna, or nobody just singing is gonna know that they capitalize the word "you" several times. So that's what I think. I think it's just straight bad. I think yeah. there's no explicit gospel in this whatsoever. It's hard for me because I don't know Micah, and you don't either, right? We never met Very this true. guy. His last name is your first name, so there's a connection, but not much of one, and. <laughs> I'm sure that this guy means every lyric in this song toward God. What we are asking is, can a congregation be taught to sing this song? And can we know that in singing it, they are coming closer to an experience of who God is? And I agree with you. I think the answer is no. I think this one falls squarely in the camp of bad. I think so too. For the sake of time, uh, we're going to cut the next one that I had, which uh, lucky you guys, because probably some of you would have really liked it, and now you're going to wonder what it was, uh-huh. and you'll never know. So now we're going to do a bonus episode. But we're going to go to a good one here. Yeah, probably the next Q&A mailbag will just be 15 songs where people are oh. like, is this good? Is this bad? We're not going to do that. We're not going to be the police for your worship playlist at the gym. <laughs> okay, this is one, no joke, Tyler, that I heard sung no, I was led to sing it at what was called a youth rally, which is a thing we did 25 years ago. No, I was in, I was in high school 15 years ago. A youth rally, and the youth rally was in my hometown. It was at the gym of the big high school in town. All of the youth ministers at the evangelical churches got together. It was called the Longview, which is the name of the city I grew up in, the Longview Youth Ministers Network, and they called it Lyman, which was funny <laughs> because at the time that was Sprite's Marketing slogan. <laughs> That's right. Lemon and lime together. Ooh, so that was Lyman. cool. Lyman. Uh, so we have this big rally. There's like 300 kids there. We all go to school together, but none of us will make eye contact because we don't want to be accountable for being Christians on our campuses. And what song should the cover band on stage want to lead us in but Reliant K's classic, Be My Escape? I don't know when this song was written. I tried to look it up and figure it out, but I couldn't find a link to the Vivo page. So maybe you can do that, Tyler. That would actually help me a whole bunch. Um, This song was really, really famous because for like 15 days, the music video got played on Total Request Live on MTV. No way. It was on TRL. Yes. And I think it was on TRL because it's a pretty banging song. It it's is. still a good song Love today. The song. I listen to this one on my uh, Alexa at home. Sorry Reliant for everybody K that uses an Alexa right is now. like one of the most musically tight bands of all time. They're so in sync. Their instrumentation is brilliant. Matt Thiessen is a great lyricist and a pretty darn good singer too. They just they had a bunch of guys who all could have been lead men that got together in a band and did it right. So it's a great song objectively. Yes. But the song could either be about how God changes your life, which I'll say, hey, as a kid in high school, in youth group, I was a Christian. I thought I was a Christian. I was a cultural Christian, at least. I think I was a real Christian, too. But I was like, this is awesome. This is like a cool song. It's your dream come true. A cool song that's still about God that I can get away with singing, and my parents won't be like, why don't you listen to Christmas music, or Christian music, I mean. And so we're at this rally. We all try to sing it. Part of what was wrong is the cover band couldn't really hang because nobody can hang. No, that's crazy. That's crazy to me that they even tried it. They could have just as easily tried to perform Beethoven frankly, and would have floundered just as poorly. But here are the lyrics. If you've never heard the song, look it up. You can listen to it with your kids in the car. It's clean. It says, 
I've given up on giving up slowly. I'm blending in so you won't even know me, apart from this whole world that shares my fate. This one last bullet you mention is my last, my one last shot at redemption, which is a great line and a great play on words between mm-hmm. a bullet point and a bullet and a gun. Because I know to live, you must give your life away. Oh, that sounds There's like something the Christ. That Jesus said something. that, right? If you want to live, you got to die. I've been housing all this doubt. This is the, the part everybody knows. I've been housing all this doubt and insecurity. I've been locked inside that house all the while. You, oh. Ca- oh, there, it's there again. It's capitalized. Who is the you? That sure seems like it's God because it's capitalized. You hold the key, and I've been dying to get out, and that might be the death of me. And even though there's no way in knowing where to go, promise me I'm going because i got to get out of here. I'm stuck inside this rut that I fell into by mistake, which every angsty high school student was like, yes, I did. i got to get out of here. I'm begging you to be my escape. Okay, that's good and could be about a girl, missionary dating a boy, who's trying to save him into the church by way of... Going on Dates, which is a very real thing in circa 2006 when I was in high school. The song was written in 2004, by the way, yeah, so it's very right. applicable. So I was 13, 14, and I think it got big in the next 18 months, which is right when I started driving and listening to music in the car on my own. This this got a lot of plays for me. It probably still does. Okay, so here's the very end. This is why I think everybody went, oh, this is a Christian song. The music changes, and Matt Thiessen sings, I fought you for so long, I should have let you in. Oh, how we regret those things we do. And all I was trying to do was save my own skin. But so were you. Oh, and then as Christians, we're like, of course, I was running from God. That's right. I wanted to save me, but he wanted to save me, but I had to go to him to get saved. But also, that's what every college girl thinks she's going to do to her boyfriend. Or, you know what? Missionary dating can go both ways. I don't want to be a sexist about this. When I was in high school, certainly it fell upon the shoulders of the young women to try to go and recruit all the football players yes. and skater boys to come to church. And most of them seemed like they were there for the girls, just speaking from experience. However, that can go both ways, I'm sure. I just, A, this is ugly congregationally. That's easy. But honestly, even as a Christian, we got to be careful because not only can we read Christian concepts into a song like this, that's fine. Maybe that's redemptive of us to do but we can begin to adopt non-Christian concepts from a song like this and then turn that into a standard for what a successful worship song is or is not. If all you do is listen to Reliant K and call that corporate worship, you're going to hate the hymns. That's exactly right. They're way too explicit, way too slow, way too plodding. So I think there are avenues and categories to enjoy both. I'll be blunt with everybody who's listening. I couldn't even name the top 50 CCM songs. I don't listen to K-Love. I don't listen to quote-unquote Christian music. I think there is worship music, and then there are songs that people wrote about human experience. And some of those deal with human experiences I've never had with all kinds of wickedness and darkness. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time listening to that. And then there are those that are sort of Christianese and frankly feel kind of thin and candy-coated and unrealistic to me. And boy, the hymnody sure does swing with both fists. It does not dodge or sidestep the human condition or reality. Certainly, the ones that have uh, that we retain up to this That's point. Right. Some That's of right. the, there are certainly some stuff about God being a, a blanket or something. I'm sure something. Mm. I've never heard whimsical. that hymn, but maybe you <laughs> I think can I find made that, that up. But you know, tell us on our next episode. Okay, so that's our first edition of Good, Bad, Ugly. Hope that was sort of fun. Uh, Maybe at the very least, you're going to go out and listen to Reliant K. There it is. Because you never did before. 
Hey, next week on the podcast, I'm going to sit down with Pastor Tracy Simmons from Christ Community Church. Pastor Tracy preached for us at True North on October 17th, and I was able to do a pulpit swap with him and preach for him at Christ Community. Tyler also joined me there and led worship because Pastor Tracy does both at his own church. So we'd like to think we gave him a little bit of a break. On our podcast episode, we're going to hear a bit of his story, his history, and uh, some of the ways that his church, Christ Community Church, which is about a decade older than True North Church, has gone through some things that we are right in the middle of right now. As always, church, you can submit questions, comments, concerns, podcast ideas to info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. Use the subject line podcast questions. We'll get to your questions a lot sooner. We love you. We are here for you. And we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.